0: like to welcome you all out to another Lodestone training and consulting podcast. I am Chris Johnson, also known as Chris number one and the dark Chris. I'm joined with
1: Chris number two or the light Chris.
0: So uh, we have the fortune of having Chris with us today. We brought him up to do some training with us and uh, he is a recent addition to our Lodestone family I've known Chris for several years now. I had the fortune of uh, having him as my boss. Uh, He was actually a very good leader. I liked working with him and for him. And I'm thrilled to have him as part of the Lodestone family. So we brought him out here, and hopefully you guys will get the benefit of having a class with him. Chris, let's let's, uh, find out about yourself. Tell us about your childhood.
1: All right, well... So like Chris said, known him for a while, uh, when he says worked with, worked for me, it was mainly me just telling him stuff he needed to do so I didn't have to do it, but uh, <laughs> it usually worked out pretty good for me. But no, so growing up, um, hunting, a lot of outdoor stuff, a lot of stuff in the, with the Boy Scouts.
0: Uh, so you've... Another Boy Scout. I, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention. It's kind of a theme here. Not that it's prereq that you're a Boy Scout to uh, to join the Lodestone family, but um, how far did you make it in the Scouts?
1: So I did achieve Eagle Scout. Man, am I the only one that wasn't an Eagle? It sounds like it. <sighs> I also went to Philmont as well.
0: R- Seriously?
1: Yes, absolutely. Man, but uh, yeah. So last stuff of that: uh, shooting, hunting, d- fishing, pretty much anything outdoors. Uh, A lot of that was with uh, grandpa and my dad. Uh, Started getting into reloading too, when we, uh, as a uh, teenager. So I've been been reloading probably since I was 12, 13 years old. So I've been doing that for a while, Uh, I really enjoy that. Something about just making your own bullets and gathering the data, I guess, just being a general nerd for ballistics and, and uh, uh ballistic coefficient tables and stuff like that so
0: I, I will say that it is very fun when you know we'll bring something up and you will go down the rabbit hole and eventually we're like okay just stop like just tell me what my hold is
1: yeah I can't help it <laughs> so uh, yeah so that was uh, that was growing up so ended up starting out in the uh, National Guard actually
0: so um, why why did you join the army
1: so? I really don't know, so <laughs> like I was telling Chris earlier when we were kind of come up with my talking points, so I was in high school I was a I think it was
0: a male dancer
1: nah uh, yeah, I think it was my sophomore year towards the end, but uh I was working a retail clothing store in the mall in Virginia. And uh, one of the guys I worked with, he was he was in the guard. So we were talking one day and the National Guard was doing a little recruiting stand outside in one of the general areas. He's like, Well, hey, here, you know, you can come meet meet this guy here. So he took me out there as one of the recruiters and I started talking to him and you know, he was like, Oh, well you like you like you like hunting, you like camping and he's like, Man, infantry is just like that. Yeah, he was wrong. So it, it you, is like that. It's just not say, as you, fun. You, you didn't do a lot of camping in the infantry? <laughs> oh, yeah. You do camping. It's just not fun camping. But, uh, yeah, so I ended up talking to him, and I didn't really have a plan for after high school.
0: When about was this?
1: So this was probably right for, right for uh, junior year started. So, actually, no, I think it was. What year was this? This was in 97. Okay. So, Yeah, so I ended up talking to him and was like, you know what, this actually isn't a bad idea. So I ended up going to basic training in between my junior and senior year of high school because I did what they call a split-out program, so that was great. So I finished my junior year, went to basic training for all summer, came back, (laughs) did my senior year, and a week after I graduated high school, I was on a plane going to finish uh, the AIT portion of infantry school. So yeah. And, uh, shortly after that, uh, so 9-11 happened and I had another buddy that was in the same guard unit and we were waiting to get the call to do something and it never came. So finally we were just like, you know what, we're going to go active duty. So I got released from my, uh, guard unit went active duty and
0: was that a hard transition?
1: Not really. So I came from a good guard unit that it was all a lot of former Ranger Battalion, a lot of infantry guys, uh, 82nd, 101st. So it wasn't too hard to transition in the regular Army. Um, But, yeah, so I went active duty, and then uh, I was still in reception at my first duty station. I'd been there for less than a week. And I talked to the SF recruiter and already put it in a selection packet <laughs> before I actually signed into my unit. Um, so they were already deployed. So it was just the uh, the rear detachment. So basically for rear detachment, they just handle all the admin stuff and anything that goes on stateside. It's just a small group of people. So and that started my SF career after that. So um, during which... So, I went from being a an NCO, transitioned over to being a warrant officer. So,
0: before you went active duty, what was a, a positive experience that you
1: had in the uh, the guard? So, I would say learning from guys that had just come off active duty, because we got a lot of guys that would finish either their inactive time or... They would just join up into the guard after active duty. So having some of those Ranger Battalion guys come in, uh, 82nd guys come in, and and bring their experiences and training they had at those units to the guard at our level and uh, and just help us as a, a guard unit be better. Um,
0: so you had some good mentorship there? Absolutely. Okay. So Uh, When you went active duty, what unit did you go to?
1: So, initially, my first duty station was at uh, 3rd ID, Fort Stewart, Georgia.
0: Mechanized infantry?
1: It was. I was a dismount for a uh, Bradley.
0: Can you drive a Bradley?
1: Yes. I can drive a 113 also. The A1 and A2.
0: I can drive a Bradley. I can't drive a 113.
1: So, the 113, the A1s actually had the old-style two levers where you – you push one forward, pull one back, right? Kind of like a zero-turn lawnmower. And then, I think of
0: Indiana Jones, you know, the tank scene where the guy gets shot in the head and he leans forward on yeah, the one.
1: just like yeah. that. yep. So, and then the A2s came out and it was just a steering wheel. Um, one thing to know is if you're driving any ta- tracked vehicle is do not pivot steer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so ended up there at 3rd ID.
0: And so you, you had the opportunity to go to Selection. uh, right after you showed up to 3rd ID. Did you ever deploy with 3rd ID?
1: I did not deploy with 3rd okay. ID. They were at 130% strength. So when I got there, I was planning on deploying, but being that they were at, at 130%, they didn't send anybody else forward.
0: Okay, so uh, during the Q course, what what was your initial MOS? What were you selected as?
1: So I was selected as a 18 Bravo, weapons, which... weapons sergeant, okay. which is what I wanted um
0: because there are 18 Bs and 18 wannabes.
1: That's right. It's the uh it's number one best MOS. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um yeah, so I wanted to be a, a weapons guy. I just always liked guns growing up with guns and uh it just really appealed to me. I, I mean, nobody wants to be a nerd sitting behind a a radio, right? Yeah, and right. Then, Delta, like just being a medic, eh, really, honestly, I didn't think I was smart enough to do it anyways, so.
0: A man has to know his limits.
1: Yeah, and then 18 Charlie, which is the uh, uh, engineer, that was my number two choice, because who doesn't want to blow stuff up? So basically you build it, and then you get to destroy it, so, you know, it's like Legos, but for big kids.
0: and <laughs> <laughs> uh, Your language in the Q course what'd you get
1: I got Arabic which I'm terrible at and I've been doing it since oh 2005 (laughs) terrible
0: okay well we will not conduct the rest of this interview in Arabic
1: it'll be a short Uh, interview
0: yeah my Arabic is garbage (laughs) too now um so you went to fifth group the legion yep went to legion um you know we Those that have listened to the podcast, they know the Legion is the best special forces group out there. Uh, I mean, yeah. You have nothing but positives to say about the Legion?
1: Absolutely. If you want to fight wars and actually do SF stuff, then you go to the Legion.
0: If you want to dance with ladyboys, you go to first group? First group.
1: Yeah. Sorry, third group. You guys are out.
0: Yeah. Hookers and blow, seventh group? Seventh
1: group. Yep. But uh, yeah, fifth group. Um, All through the Q course, the only people doing stuff was fifth group, so... That was actually a funny story. Fifth group was my number three choice.
0: Oh, so you did want to go dance with Lady Boys.
1: So, no. my So, what was it was? I had seventh group, third group, and fifth group. And this was because my wife wanted to stay in
0: North Carolina. At Fort Bragg. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, but then midway through the Q course, she realized that fate bill is – a terrible place and (laughs) decided that uh, i needed to switch which i told her at that point was going to be tough but luckily i found a guy that wanted seventh group that had fifth group and we uh, one for one switched which you can't always do some years they let you some years they don't nice yeah
0: so how was the cue course for you
1: it was good i was a first time go at every phase so I went through pretty quick. Well, minus language I had to recycle. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I was yes. gonna say, wow, I I was a first time go, um except for language. Yeah, yes. Same I, here. I had to do the extra three weeks of language yes. because man. Lou Arabia, uh mm,
1: Yeah, that was that was a sixty day retrain.
0: No, uh, I only had to do three weeks.
1: Yeah, when I went through, so they kept you for sixty days.
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: It didn't help much.
0: You get to 5th Group uh, 2005?
1: Yep. It was uh, August of 2005.
0: And you deployed, your first deployment was with 5th Group.
1: Yep. So, showed up, everybody was gone, went in, talked to the the rear detachment sergeant major, and (laughs) he's like, hey, you're going to this team, you're going to this team. I was there with three other guys, and I got my team assignment, got a packing list, uh, I had already, my wife had already moved up to, uh, live with my parents cause I knew I was probably leaving right when I got the fifth group cause everybody was gone anyways. So, uh, yeah, three weeks later I was on a, on a plane heading to, uh, Iraq, met my team down range nice. about halfway through the deployment.
0: So as a young SF guy, what was a memorable event? The, those first few deployments, something that you you still rely on today
1: that you learned? Well, the first thing I learned is new guys don't talk. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, but just the experience. You want to
0: explain that? Why does a new guy not talk?
1: So new guys don't talk. Is it
0: just because we're hazing them?
1: No. New guys don't talk because they don't know anything. And even if you do know something, you don't know anything about SF, about the way... The team does anything because you're brand new. So, the Q course didn't prepare you for everything? No. So, yeah, like you <laughs> said, the Q course is the
0: qualification course, right?
1: This guy can meet these standards of physical, um, mental. He knows he gets the baseline of his job, right? So, for weapons, obviously, you get your background in the weapons, foreign. Uh, domestic, all weapons, covered all of them. Uh, Charlie's, the engineers, right? So they go through all their stuff. So you get your your baseline job qualifications, right? And then you do your small unit tactics and all that stuff. So it's, it's the baseline for every SF guy. So when you do show up to your team, your team knows this is what this guy knows. Here is the standard that He knows coming out of the Q course, and that's with all the all the new guys. They all know this much. So then, when you show up to the team, each team has their own SOP, which the standard operating procedures for everything. So they are all fairly similar, but they're all really different. What kind of team did you show up to? So I went to a free fall team, which out of the out of the
0: Q course, you got to go to the free fall team. Yep, there were a
1: lot of. A lot of boo-boo faces around. I don't around. like you. I yep. don't like you. So, yeah. Um, showed up, went right to a Halo team, which was awesome. Because um, anybody that knows me knows I do not like static line jumping. <laughs> like, I, I can't sl- Have you met someone
0: that really likes static line jumping? That Like, I mean, that well, it- has done free fall and is like, well, I'd still prefer, you know. No. fifteen hundred feet AGL.
1: It scares the crap out of me. Like I can't sleep the night before. Like I, it's. I check my static line like three hundred times before I even get out of the plane. It's. I'm I'm deathly afraid of static line jumping. But, but I will,
0: eighteen grand, you're like yeah, yeah no big get deal, out of right?
1: The plane all day. Like we go and do our train ups and we jump, three to four times a day, no problem. <laughs> but you put me in that plane with a static line shoot. Nope, I am scared the entire time. But uh but yeah, so I got lucky. Went to a free yeah, fall team. Yeah. Um so those that don't know, uh our specialty teams, which like your dive team, mountain team and your free fall teams, typically there's a wait list for guys to get into those teams. Um historically they've all been your senior NCOs, meaning a a E seven, which is a certain first class. Um so coming out of the Q course you're an E five. Brand new, buck sergeant, and then uh, the next step is that E six, which is staff sergeant. But typically, your specialty teams are all senior guys, which are showing up. They're all E sevens. Um,
0: They've earned their way on the team. They didn't just get put there.
1: Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, someone's still a little. I'm I'm a little bitter. Uber-lift. I'm better yeah. about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So I show up to the Halo team, brand new E five, right out of the course. Um, get to my team. And my senior at the time looked at me and he said, I am so glad you're here. (laughs) He said, they'll stop calling me new guy now. (laughs) He was called new guy for two years because he'd been there for two years and they hadn't got a new guy in two years. So he was new guy for two years, even though he'd been on two, three deployments with them and was by no means a new guy, but they didn't get a new guy. So I showed up and actually call him by his first name and then I got the new guy <laughs> 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 which didn't last but a year. Well, probably 8 months cuz we got new guys right after that. But uh but yeah, so going back to why you don't
0: really, why you don't why you don't talk?
1: Why you don't talk is you just don't know what's going on cuz it's a completely different level. It's like going from JV to varsity. I wouldn't even say that. What's below JV, Uh, rec league to varsity? I
0: I think that a a comparison people may understand better. It it would be like going from, say, like a high school program to you're now in a master's level program. You've skipped that bachelor's program. It is definitely – there is more going on than you even thought was possible.
1: Yep. I definitely agree with that. So, you know, coming from regular Army – you don't, your squad members don't really have much to do with the planning, right? It's, it's a, a top-down driven organization, right? So everybody at the top makes the plan, trickles it down to, to the companies, to the platoons, to the, to the teams, right? So you get briefed on what you're doing. So in Special Forces, we get the mission and the intent of the commander And then it's our job to figure out how we're gonna meet that mission in his intent. So whatever it may be like, here, go take this building. Your your job is to take the building. He just tells you to take the building. It's on us to figure out how we're gonna do it. And that includes everything from where we're going to get there, what we're doing when we get there, how we're getting home, and everything in between that uh, commo to hire, uh, casualties, everything, sustainment, all that stuff. So that's why you don't talk, because you just don't know, because you you haven't experienced any of that. That that level of of planning, of thinking, and and just how SF as as a whole operates.
0: I think that's a, a great way of putting it. Yeah, there's so much to learn, and if you're trying to put the information that you brought with you, um, whatever your life experience was prior to that, whether you were an x-ray and you had college or you were a regular Army guy. We had guys that showed up to the team that were E7s that came out of the regular Army as platoon sergeants. And they had good experience, but they didn't have the same level of experience. And it was important they took that that tactical pause, kept their mouth shut, and learned what was going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So those experiences like you said that's that's just mission enhancing but it's not until you understand how sf works once you know how this new organization you're in works now you can apply your past knowledge and and experience and add that to to what you're doing now to to blend those together but until until you have been there long enough to understand how everything works then it's it's not it's just useless. So
0: going down this this same kind of reasoning here, uh, Jared and I have both talked about you're not a a fully qualified guy. You don't fully have your job till you've had that experience. Uh, how long do you think it took before you were that you would consider yourself an actual 18 Bravo?
1: So I got thrown in a deep end pretty quick. So. After that that first trip, so I did four months with the team downrange, which was about half the trip. Um, So we came back and my senior left, along with three other of the senior guys. So there I am, brand new out of the course, did a half a trip where I was still trying to get my head to stop spinning. And now I'm the senior Bravo as an E5 right out of the course. So my learning curve was really steep. So that, I would say, took me probably about a year. And it was a rough year. So on a team, the team sergeant says, hey, here's, here's what I want for ranges. And then he gives me dates and what we're doing, and I go execute and make, make these ranges happen. So I had no idea how to schedule a range <laughs> at Fort Campbell. So I'm running up and down the hallway talking to all the other Bravos. Most of them were just as new as I was because I went to the Q cores with half of them. (laughs) So, um, but that's what we do as SF. We figure it out and make it happen. So, yeah, I would say a, a good year to two years before you're fully, fully know what your job is as a junior. Right. And then then you become the senior of that MOS. Right. And then the, now, the way it should work, but right. it sounds
0: like you and I both had similar experience where I had a senior for a few months and then he went over to be a team sergeant. Mm-hmm. And then I became the the senior. And uh, if it wasn't for the other guys in my company that I was able to go up and down the hall and ask, I would have been lost.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, it was probably a year or so later. I got a I got a junior. Uh, he showed up to the team. He was 20. So brand new out of the course. I think he was an x-ray. Uh, he's actually a team sergeant now. But, uh, yeah, so that now being a senior, having a junior, now I have to not only make sure all the Bravo stuff is done incorrectly, I'm also mentoring him so he can take over when I'm not there.
0: Yeah. I I'll tell you that one of the the great lessons that I learned was well, I'm an SF guy. Like I'm a green Beret, I can do anything. Until I realize I can't do it and then I have to rely on my brothers. And that was great and I could. Yes. I could go up and down the hall and uh RB team Bravo Jim, that man saved me so many times. <laughs> because he'd be like, All right, hold on, you don't know. Let me square you away. And it wasn't a you don't know cherry and you're a moron or anything like that. It was, no, you don't know. Let me mentor you. And then I took that the same way that when I became a senior guy and as I was, you know, I spent 14 years in group, any opportunity that I had to be Jim and repay Mm -hmm. and to to help out the, the next guys. I think that's one of the problems that we see right now. And you can correct me if you see something different with group is guys are coming out of the Q course thinking they have all the answers.
1: Yeah, we're, we're getting a little bit younger in the force, so that's – you definitely see that. And that's because that mentorship is, is – it's not there because those old guys aren't there anymore. Yeah. No. So – but I've always said, you know, being an SF guy, there's a lot of stuff I don't know, but there's nothing I can't do. Yeah. Right? So like you said, I'll figure out how to do that because that's how we work. That's what we do. It's – we're – problem solvers so but a lot of that problem solving comes from leaning on guys that know
0: so you uh, you discovered that you were a poor Bravo and that you were not going to be successful as an NCO and you decided to betray the NCO Corps uh, and become a warrant officer yes I'm gonna tell everyone what I think the answer is and then you can tell me what you think the answer is I think you became a warrant because you wanted to stay on the team longer
1: Yes, and I really love coffee. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much how it went. So I was at about five years team time on the same team, which at that time was almost unheard of. Um,
0: You're looking at going to SWIC, probably.
1: I was on the SWIC list. Okay. I was absolutely going to SWIC, which, for those of you who don't know, Swick is our Special Warfare Center. That's where we train Green the Berets. The schoolhouse. So paying your dues is you get PCS to Fort Bragg for three years and you teach new Green Berets going through the Q course. So I was on that list to go that summer and my warrant at the time went to bat for me and got me taken off that list to go to the warrant course. One, I'd been talking to him for a while about becoming warrant and he was kind of pushing me that way and I just Wanted more team time, too. So going warrant gets you (laughs) about another six years of team time. But also, at that point in time, right, so I was on that team for five years. I was was the most senior NCO on that team. So I was already basically maxed out as far as I could go without being a team sergeant.
0: Had you done everything that you wanted to do at that point?
1: The only thing I didn't do at that point was a a J-set. Okay. It was all combat rotations. But, you know, being at that point where everybody on the team already looked at me, so whenever there was an issue, you know, that could be resolved without bringing in the team sergeant or the captain, they would look at me. So having that responsibility already at that lower level, it, it was I just looked at it as do I want to be a team sergeant or do I want to be a warrant? So, being the warrant would give me a lot more responsibility and a lot more team time. And a lot more team time. So, I made made the leap. Plus, the retirement's a lot better too. So. Okay, but uh, but yeah. So I. I How was that. the
0: transition going? I, I know some guys have a real hard time.
1: The transition's rough. So, it's it's going from being. Like if you were a mechanic, you're the guy that turns the wrenches to now you're the shop manager where you don't turn wrenches, but you make sure the guys that are turning wrenches know what they're doing and they're on track. So having to take that step back and, and actually be fully invested into that that leadership role of being part of the top three, which which is the team sergeant, the captain and the warrant, and not be down into the, the the daily business of everybody it, it was hard because i mean for five years that's what that's I that's what you did yeah so it was a little rough i had a good team starting a good captain so they uh they helped me out a lot and i mean as a warrant back at group once you transition over you're a w1 for two years which is basically a probationary period so having that little little one dot on there everybody knows like you're brand new to the Warrant core. You're, you're a brand new SF warrant, and they expect you to do certain things wrong and to have that learning curve in there of making that full transition. And like I said, some guys have a really hard time with it, and then some guys go to the other extreme where they're not quite in the middle where they should be as far as a warrant of being able to, we call it straddling that line between, being a regular officer in an NCO, right? You know, one of the
0: things that you said several years ago, we were working in an office together and we were in an office setting and uh, you said, my job is to tell the truth no matter what what the outcome is. And that just really stuck with me. That was like, yes, you have no vested interest in inflating either side's ego.
1: Yeah, so and that coming up through the, I think that was
0: like the first week I met you. Know, yeah. I was like, I like this guy. I like this guy a lot. Yeah.
1: Well, I had a good warrant on my team. Uh, he uh, he was that way. Like, that's what the old school warrants. Like, when the when the commander would come in and he'd take a brief and he would look around and he would look at the warrant and say, Chief, what do you think? And then that warrant would stand up and tell him exactly what he thought. <laughs> you know, whether he was – And typically it wasn't what the commander wanted to hear, but it was what he needed to hear, right? Because his staff would put that little spin on it, right, so it wasn't as bad or it was kind of what the boss wanted to hear. Emperor
0: has new clothes, right?
1: Right, yep. But the warrant, like, he'd stand up. like, Hey naked. This this is a stupid plan. Like, this is dumb because of this, this, and this. Now, he had that experience and knowledge to back up his, his opinion on it, but that... And that's how I was raised coming up through the ranks was the warrant was the guy you looked at and said, hey, chief, what do you think of this? And he's going to tell you if it's dumb or good. And that that always kind of stuck with me.
0: I think that's one thing that uh, definitely an SFODA has going for it. If you have that good, strong warrant officer, it doesn't matter if you have a weak captain um, because... You can have that respect for that officer. He's been in your shoes. You know, He's done that job. He has all of that. Uh, I've had my very first team. I was spoiled. It was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. I had the best team sergeant and best warrant in all of group, and I had the worst captain. <laughs> yep. And, I mean, it was great for me, but it was awful because no one ever lived
1: up to those guys. Yeah. You know. And nobody else probably knew that was a bad captain either.
0: Oh, no. No, and that's the thing. Yep. That man is a lieutenant colonel now. Yeah, And why is he a lieutenant? Well, he never got vo- invited back to group. Enough people spoke enough truth. But he was able to do two combat rotations without failing Yep, when he should have failed. Yes. <laughs> but that would have meant the team failed. Absolutely. And that's not going to happen.
1: And, and as a warrant, that is one of my jobs is to mentor that captain. So that captain shows up. You know, they just finished their platoon leader time, right? And they just made captain. So again, they're a new guy, they don't know anything, but yet this is the leader of the team, right? He's the the detachment commander. For two years. Right, for two years and then we get a new one and start the process all over again. <laughs> but, you know, so it's my job to make sure he is ready and able to lead the team and do it correctly and help mitigate any impacts that are negative to the team or outside the team if he's a bad captain. Yeah. So, but uh, we we did fire one captain. So, I got that going for me. <laughs> Almost so, fired a second yeah, one. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, so uh, we had to give a, a positive experience. What negative experience have you had as a warrant officer?
1: It would be firing that captain. Um, He was – a very hard-to-work-with guy. He, he was an older captain, so prior service, um, prior enlisted guy, got out, came back in as an officer, showed up to the team. And uh, he wanted to be that guy that, like, if you're sitting around a campfire, everybody pulls up a chair and just listens to his stories. Like, that's kind of how he wanted to be because he thought he knew everything and he was right about everything. And it's just not how we work, you know. So we have 10 other guys that have been there longer than he has. Probably, in most cases, they've got more time in the Army sometimes. But combined, that's a lot of experience. And when you, as a leader, don't tap into that experience and knowledge of the your subordinates, especially in in uh in special forces uh, you're just setting yourself up to fail because those guys have been there and done it and they've been doing it and they're going to continue to be doing it when you leave and to not even acknowledge that and to to just mitigate it as in oh hey I'm the leader now you do what I say well that's wrong and this is why and having that experience with all those guys is is i mean it's it's gotten me through stuff all the time like i lean on my ncos all the time because most of them have been there for a while and they know what they're doing
0: sometimes they fail you when you go out to like i don't know arizona and your yeah. 18 fox doesn't tell you that the area we're going to be at snows
1: yeah when you go and it's seven thousand feet elevation and it's may time and you think it's going to be 80 degrees so you show up wearing shorts and a t-shirt and then you freeze as it's snowing while you're going up the mountain. Yeah. Thanks, Chris.
0: Hey, I found the REI. So, yeah. you know,
1: I had to buy a lot of clothes that trip. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so NCO Warrant Officer, um what was one of the best schools that you went through? And you know, it, it could be any SF school, any any other training. And then why was that such a good school for you? And why has that, you know, why do you still carry the lessons you learned out of
1: that? Well, I, I guess I'll make this a two-part answer. So the most fun and professional school I've been to, I would have to say, is free fall school. Um, so anybody that's listened to your podcast before and, and heard that episode, um, extremely professional guys, you would think that it's... A clown show by the way they act but but it, it's so organized it is and in and that that act is 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 exactly that it's an act it's it's there to take that pressure off of the students because you're jumping out of a plane at 13,000 feet for the first time you have no idea what's going on you've never done it before you're already scared you're already under stress <laughs> um, so that 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 act is to to reduce that stress so you can actually learn and you're not at, at peak level, like you're not at 10, right? They're trying to bring that back down closer to, to five and to one, right? So that was probably the most professional one. Um, Knowledge-wise, that's a toss-up. I did say Sears school. Yeah. Talk about a lot of knowledge dumped on you in what's that, three weeks, four mm-hmm. weeks? Yeah. Very professional guys, lots and lots of knowledge. And in such a short time. And that's also one of the other one course that I will never go back to. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I
0: would go to Sear again. Uh, I I've actually said that that C was a positive experience. I don't think it would be the same experience. I know it wouldn't be the same experience it now. Would. Um but you learn so much about
1: yourself. Absolutely. Um yeah, so that was a great course.
0: The stuff that I learned there, even you know, basic stuff like uh how to build a fire. You know, uh, mm-hmm. this last weekend, uh I found myself stuck up in the snow mm-hmm. and there I am using s- s- skills I learned Back in two thousand five in uh in Fort Bragg or Camp McCall, uh building a fire. You know, did I need it? No, I was building it for entertainment. I had a car that had heat, but you know, <laughs> I, I needed something to entertain myself while I yeah. waited for the recovery. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So, I don't like snow.
1: Yeah. So in my current position now, I've been off a of team. I'm back at Bragg, but uh I, I got the opportunity to attend a, a conference. It was uh a Nisa conference. So basically, they bring all these these um, different countries in. Uh, usually, one or two reps from all these countries. I mean, we had people from, uh, oh man, uh, India, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, um, everywhere. There's probably fifty people there, and it was just like they they cover broad spectrum i think this one was on like great power competitions right and it was the knowledge on that one just to see how different countries view just these different aspects of what's going on in the world and how that applies to them and 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 how they think it applies to these other countries and it it was really interesting um but that was a conference it wasn't really a school it was just something i got to go and attend and uh, it very interesting just to see you bring this huge group of people, very diverse from different countries, and get to hear them talk. You know, some of them towed the political line, right? Like, <laughs> you know, this, this, and this, this. We will never do this. And, you know, so in some of the scenarios. So it very interesting. Had a good time. Mm,
0: awesome. Yeah. It, it's amazing what we get exposed to as green brays. absolutely that where you can find yourself working and because at the end of the day you put us anywhere we're going to find a way to stand and lift um we're going to make our foxhole better
1: yeah i mean where else do you see a e7 or an e8 brief in a general all right like that's typically that doesn't really happen in big forums in conventional forces. Yeah. So, and we do that all the time. So I guess sniper school was a good fun one too. I got to do some, that was, I went, attended that one as an NCO. That was, that was good. Was that early
0: on in your, uh, like your first year or were you kind of a seasoned guy already?
1: Uh, I'd say I was probably around year three. That was after I went to free fall school.
0: (laughs) As a new guy. Uh, Just keep, just keep rubbing that in. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, which uh, which level did you attend?
1: Uh, that was a level two. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, there's a couple different levels. Well, I say there's a couple. There's <laughs> level one and there's level two. Um, level one gives you ability to shoot closer to the assaulters. So your your distance from target to assaulter shrinks when you become a level 1 versus a level 2.
0: And that's that's a for the commander to make that decision. He has the uh, the knowledge that you have that skill level because you've done that course. So for his risk mitigation. It's not saying that your ability is any better going to the other course. It's just saying that the commander has that uh, yep. you know, COA I guess.
1: Yep. Yep, you get that skill identifier on there. So I think there's also a, a teaching aspect to it, to where you can teach certain things. But, but yeah. So I went to level two, which is basically the level one course without the accreditation. You would say.
0: And that that's run. Uh,
1: that's Ryan at Group.
0: Okay. So, now you said in your talking about your childhood, you grew up uh, hunting, fishing, outdoors, woods craft type mm-hmm. stuff. Did you feel that that helped or hindered you going through uh, level two?
1: I'd say it helped a little bit. Um, You know, being kids and stuff, you always watch the movie Sniper and stuff. You're crawling through the grass. and and Were were you
0: filing your finger and and things like that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You brought the movie up.
1: So going through and then watching the movie, you're like, oh, my God, this is terrible. (laughs) Who wrote this? but uh but yeah it, it did um a lot of na- land nav you know everyone thinks a sniper is that guy that sits up there and just kills people right no most snipers do observation and reporting
0: <laughs> we had a uh a 35 uh mike 35 fox uh, an intel guy attached to us for a little bit. And this this kid, um, and I say kid, he was, you know, in his early 20s. He was a national match uh, champion. I mean, this guy could shoot. And he would sit there and be like, oh, you have to take me. Oh, come on, Chris, take take, take me. You know, you're going out to do SR, and he wanted to go. And I'm like, bro, you can shoot better than anyone else on this team. I got it. I understand. You have that, that magic that you can just interpret what the wins are going to do. I got it. But everyone on this team can shoot. What they can do that you can't do is they can get to the objective.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) And you can't do that. It's a big part. You know, and just being able to shoot, just being able you know, like I will tell guys all day long, I am great at squeezing the trigger. The science comes from the guy looking at the glass who's giving me my hold. Um, And I've had some really good spotters over the years that have just, they've made me look really, really good.
1: Yep. Like we always said in the course, like we can teach a monkey to break the trigger clean, yep. which is absolutely true. I'm living proof. It's, it's reading all the, the wins and everything else that that's the hard part. That's the experience part.
0: Awesome. So, uh, now that you're coming up here, you're, uh, you're getting close to retirement, hopefully, right?
1: Yep. Which I'm about a year and a half out.
0: That's about the time that I started looking at, uh, coming this way. And so I'm definitely trying to poach you and, and bring you up here. Um, what do you see that you can bring here to Lodestone?
1: So definitely looking at doing a a intermediate distance course, uh, specifically the the carbine, the uh, AR platform, right, uh, 5.56, five, uh, small bore. Um, but specifically with a, a the a combat site, right? So, or a a battle site, right? Looking at your, your red dots or your EO techs, you know, even, ACOG, ACOG, yeah. Something up to a a one, one to four power, you know, definitely not the, the, the typical like sniper scope, right? Where you got a, a three to 15 power scope. I'm, I'm talking your, your battle battle rifle, right? What, uh, in. in taking that out to three 400 yards and, and teaching guys how to actually shoot that in in looking at wind which your intermediate distance depending on a wind usually doesn't matter but when you start looking at that 300 now it's 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 a factor that you need to consider right and what what kind of ammo you're using what's your zero right because different zeros different holds so going over all that stuff but doing a Doing that, you know, just having a, a short, couple hour classroom, and then just hitting a range and getting people comfortable enough to where at three hundred yards they won't hesitate to take that shot. They won't even think, "Oh, maybe that's outside my range." No, they'll just take it because uh, they're, you know they're that I, they have
0: that that confidence. I know absolutely. that. Um, I had a, a guy on my team that ended up being a, a level one instructor. Uh, he took us out to the KD range, so the known distance range. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a piece of steel set up at 600 meters. And we had our regular uh, 14.5 um, EOTech guns, you know, M4, A1s. And within half an hour, we were all digging that steel like it was nothing yeah. at 600 meters. And prior to that, I was one of the guys that was like, well, you know, I mean, we're kind of... You know, the maximum effective range and, you know, naming off all these things yeah. that, you know, I've grown up hearing about <laughs> ballistics and everything. He's like, yeah, yeah, that that's fine. But we're still going to do it. And then fast forward a few years later, I find myself taking a 500 meter shot. That was 500 plus, you know, I didn't laze it. Uh, but it was a long shot mm-hmm. and I was effective and I didn't hesitate because I knew I could do it. Yeah. So there's a, a great advantage. I'm I'm really looking forward to that course.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh- also like to kind of dispel rumors too you know because there's a lot of misinformation out there with with barrel selection and everything i mean you can you can accurately engage a target out to 600 yards you just need to know what or 600 yards with like that seven and a half inch barrel right so you need to know what having that short barrel does right so a little bit of the ballistics of it like it it doesn't make that barrel any less accurate because it's seven and a half inches. It just makes getting the bullet from your barrel to the target a little bit harder because it gets affected more. Right. Mm -hmm. So having that understanding so you can better pick your equipment, right? So what do you plan on doing with this? What's your, 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 your end state on this weapon system? What are you going to use it for? What do you want to do with it now? And maybe in the future, well, here's considerations. Here's what you need to look at as far as barrel selection and all this other stuff, right? So just helping helping that out, and then, like you said, getting that confidence out yeah. there to make those shots, and then uh, uh, reloading stuff. Like I'm, love reloading, so possibly a reloading seminar, um, if there's if there's interest for it. So, I mean, I see that kind of getting broken down into a a beginner intermediate and then you go more to your advance right so beginner would be like all right here's what you need to start reloading X caliber, right nine mil you need this this and this here's what you need to look out for here's some do's don'ts right just to get you started right to i don't want to say just enough to make it dangerous but enough to make you safe so you don't hurt yourself. I your like brothers. that yeah, making make yourself right. sick.
0: because we've seen it. We've seen it on the range. Uh, Absolutely. Reloads where you know we had a, a double load that one day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it it can be dangerous. You, I know myself that I reach out to guys like you. Yeah, because I want that information.
1: Yeah, well I I wrote that article and if you read that article you'll know that as a kid I almost blew my face off. So I was reloading. Might some two have been rounds. an improvement. Yeah. So, meh. <laughs> yeah, probably. But, uh, but yeah. So, not not being exactly an expert at reloading or super experienced, you know, I I thought I was doing it right. Ended up putting too much powder in it, and the first round definitely knew something was wrong got a lot of pressure blowback in our face and my buddy's like what was that and the <laughs> primer shot out it was crazy so that was a hard lesson luckily nobody got hurt um some people aren't that lucky so but yeah so doing a, a beginner to an a intermediate and then looking at like an advanced course where we're reloading for a specific purpose, right? Whether it's it's a competition shooting, right? Cause there's a lot of nuances to making your competition rounds, right? So like resetting the head, the, uh, the neck on it and everything like that, right? For resizing and everything. So, so getting into those, those really f- fine tuning your, your loads, right? And how to get those, like what data did you collect on it? What, how do you know if you're making a good load? stuff like that. So that sounds like a good seminar. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, we were talking earlier leadership stuff. So,
0: yeah, you know, I mean, here we are, uh, we like to have diversity here at Lodestone. And yet again, we're bringing another fifth group Green Bray on, on, you know, um, but you're a warrant officer. I am. You, you have a different perspective. Yes. Um, I'm, I definitely feel that I'm a leader. I know Jared's a leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have a different perspective on leadership, and I think that is going to be a great fit, especially when we we start working with um, bringing you in with some of our different clients. Um, And, you know, when you talk leadership, it's not just uh, training. We have companies and things like that.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, you say leadership, and we were talking earlier, like, you know. Broad topic. Yeah, it's like, well, man, that could be, anything like leadership is 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 huge so i mean you could go from which companies hit up former sf guys all the time like hey we want you to come here and teach our employees about leadership you know and us as green berets having led men into combat probably the as cliche as it is like the most like that is probably the the pinnacle of leadership is taking men and getting them to follow you in the harm's way where there's a really good chance that they're not going to come back. Like that, to me, that's the ultimate level of leadership, right? Is I'm taking this group of guys and they're willingly coming with me to go possibly die. So, but we're around it so much. It's like, what do you mean teach your managers how to be <laughs> leaders? Like that's, to us, it's just second nature, you know, but, but there is looking at it, there's, there's things that we can definitely translate over just like we do with everything. We take our, our military skills and we translate them over to give, um, people attending the classes that knowledge and, and experience to, to better their, whatever, whatever it is they're, they're trying to do. So, but yeah, looking at like managers, how do you, how do you better lead your subordinates, right? make the work workplace better. Right. Cause mm-hmm. happy workers means more productive workers. I mean, that's, that's been proven time and time again, um, all the way to, you know, government agencies looking at developing their juniors or senior leaders and coming up through the ranks. So
0: awesome. Well, I'm really happy that you're here. I, I think you're going to be a great fit with the, uh, the Lodestone family. Uh, Those of you out there listening, look forward to seeing both the Dark Chris, myself, and the Light Chris uh, at classes. And we're going to use him as much as we can. You're going to see him at Land Nav. You're going to see him at a a basic pistol class. Um, And then definitely these advanced classes that we've been talking about and bringing you up here specifically for this. Um, There's a lot of skills that do good things that people can have and you're bringing that to the table. So thank you.
1: Absolutely. Love teaching. Like that's probably the most rewarding thing for me is, is running one of the classes, especially the basic classes is having someone that doesn't know anything and they leave being able to hit steel at 150 yards and they've never shot a gun before. Right. So it's very rewarding. It is.
0: Well, Hey, Thank you, folks, for listening to another Lodestone Training and Consulting Podcast. We look forward to seeing you out at training events. Uh, We look forward to uh, training with you. And let's get better together. Have a good day. Imagine where you will be. And it will be so. Hold the line. Stay with me.